want to talk with you today about uh, charting your course. You might say, well, Pastor, I've already charted my course. Well, you know, in life things uh, happen. Things change and you have to chart a new course. And I want to talk with you about that today. It's very important. Let's look at the Word of God. It was in line with this principle, brothers, that when I came to you, I did not come proclaiming my testimony about God with preeminent eloquence or wisdom. In his proclamation, Paul placed no reliance whatsoever upon eloquence or wisdom. Eloquence, uh, he defined and was defined in that day by rational talk. If you could get up and make a rational presentation about something, they would say that was eloquent. And then the other word, wisdom, was a word that meant wordy cleverness. If you could be clever with the words that you presented, then that was real good. Uh, Here is rational talk and wisdom talk. They represent the means by which man may commend a case. Effectiveness of language and skill of argumentation. Now, there are a lot of lawyers across America, many of which are uh, good, fine, wonderful Christian men, some of which are crooks. And uh, they do anything to win the case. They'll lie. They'll make up stuff, they'll bring in false witnesses, they'll do this, they'll do that. Some lawyers can be very, very smart and argue well and win their case, but they're lying. And this is what uh, we're looking at here. Paul is saying, we don't want to do that. We don't want to just be good with words, we want to have something to say. Something powerful, something godly, something that will be important in the lives of people. Verse 2 says, I resolve that in the midst of you, wisdom-loving people. Now, he's talking about the people in Corinth. They had Gnostics that had come into that area, and they had become a part of the church family, and they thought that they had a higher wisdom than anybody else. And that in order for you to be a great Christian, a mature Christian, you had to agree with them. Well, Paul is at many, many points in 1 Corinthians speaking against them. I resolve that in the midst of you, I would know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. In other words, he is saying about what the Gnostics are saying, what you're saying is not important. I know you think it's important, but it's not important at all. What is important is the message of Christ and Him crucified. And of course, about His resurrection. According to Acts, the 18th chapter, Paul moved on to Corinth from Athens. It is often supposed that after an attempt to marry the gospel to Greek philosophy. That's what Paul thought, well, now, I've got to do something different for this audience. These are 
people that are very, very embedded in Greek philosophy. So I've got to reach out into their world to help bring them into the Christian world. And so he got up and he joined the two together. Uh, he gave what uh, many call the famous uh, Areopagus uh, speech in Acts 17, 22 through 31. Well, it says that this speech uh, had sort of indifferent response. It didn't really turn on those wise men in Athens. It didn't really uh, spark their fire, so to speak. They listened. They said, well, that's okay. You know, they weren't really impressed. Well, after that, in Acts 17, 32 and following, it says that Paul determined to change his tactics. He decided to change his presentation. He decided to preach nothing but Jesus, his cross, and his resurrection. That was the message. That was what he was going to teach. That's what he was going to put out there, no matter who was there. And no matter what they believed, he set a new course. Do you have your course charted? Do you have a plan for tomorrow? Do you have a plan for next week, next month, next year, next decade? Do you have a plan? Have you charted your course? Do you have short-term and long-term goals for yourself, for your family? For your finances, for your church, for your health. These things are all very, very important. Things that we ought to give a lot of thought to, that we ought to give a lot of prayer to, that we need to seek uh, the combined uh, wisdom of our church as we look into the Lord for direction that He wants to give to us. Paul charted his course. He started out doing one thing and then he changed and started doing another thing. He charted out a course that was all about Jesus, all about his death, burial, and resurrection. When illness and deaths come within our family, many times uh, we have to change our course. We have to do things differently. Because of what has transpired in our lives. We can do that, of course, with God's blessing. As long as we stay focused in our heart, in our mind, in our soul, on the risen Christ. Do you remember when you decided to retire? That was a a new course for you. It was a major decision for you. Do you remember weighing all of the different options that were presented to you, perhaps by the company where you worked? When Cindy and I got married, I called the Baptist Convention, and I told them I needed to rework my retirement plan because I was getting married. Since Cindy was 20 years younger than I was, they refigured the monthly amount of money that they would send us uh, every month. Well, I had watched that number go up every month for 30 years. And I was real happy about that. I thought, that's good, that's good, that's good. 
And it went that way and kept going that way. Well, the month after we got married, I got another letter. And the amount was cut in half. (laughs) I almost fainted. I thought, this isn't right. But it was right. Because we put down that we wanted Cindy to receive uh, retirement until her death. And boy, I didn't know what a tremendous difference that would make, but it did. I told her about it. She laughed. I didn't. <clears throat> well, Paul set a new course. There were new situ. It was a new situation. He set a new course. We all must set a course in our lives. Christopher Columbus, we're told, would write in his log every day. This day we traveled west as is our course. We need to set our minds and our hearts on the course that would edify Jesus, lift up the church, lift up the gospel, lift up Christian politicians. As we enter into a period when we're all going to be making decisions about who we're going to vote for, I hope that you will do a little research and think about those that have decided that as a Christian, they're going to stand up for the Lord in Washington and and wherever else they are. We ought to think twice about uh, whom we're going to vote for. Well, verse 3, I came to you in weakness and in fear and in great trepidation. On his own showing, Paul was not an impressive speaker. He knew that. He knew he wasn't a great speaker. 2 Corinthians uh, 10 talks about it. His plan had been changed, as I've said, to Jesus, the cross, the resurrection. You know, when a, a little kid gets a telescope, the first thing they do is look through the wrong end. And, of course, as they look through it that way, everything is teeny-weeny and way far away. It's not up close. It's way away. If you look at the cross, the resurrection, through the wrong end of the telescope, Jesus and his cross seem very far away. They're not right with us. They're way, way away, unrelated to our lives today. But if you will risk it and turn the telescope around, Jesus becomes very clear. And we can see him. And we can lift him up. And we can honor him in our daily walk, in our daily speech, in our daily work. We can see that real flesh and blood is all around us. And we can reach out and be of service to those with whom we interface on a daily basis. The horizons of opportunity expand. You know, when your heart is set on ministry, those uh, opportunities just continue to happen. They continue to come as we look for places to serve our Lord. The eternal is drawn near. Look at verse 4. My argument and my proclamation were not enforced by persuasive words of wisdom, 
Paul's preaching, with no dependence on rhetorical devices, was enforced. By what? This is the key. By a manifestation of the Holy Spirit and the power of God. That's what changed the whole message. That's what will change our message. When we let the Holy Spirit take over in our lives, when we begin to speak about Jesus and Him crucified and Him resurrected, and we are speaking with the power of God, then guess what? We're great speakers. We are great speakers. The supernatural conviction and force that accompanied the preaching furnished a better proof, a better proof of its truth than any logical process could provide. When Paul preached, a divine power gripped his hearers. He wasn't a great speaker, but he had a great message. And great things happened. Years and years ago, when I was a student at Baylor, I pastored a little country church outside of Waco, Texas. And there were a lot of Davidsons in that church, about five different families, and I I found out they were all related to each other. There was one son that had moved off. His name was Walter Davidson. He was an evangelist, and he moved to a different place. When he would come to town to see his family, I'd let him preach on Sunday night, and he was terrific. I mean, just a terrific preacher. He was solid in the Word of God and solid in the Spirit of God, did a great job. One time he scheduled a revival in Waco, and I could finally uh, go and hear him preach a revival for a week because it was right there in town where I lived. So I went on Sunday night, that's when it started, and he preached, and uh, it was a great message. It was a big church. Not one person walked down the aisle, trusted in Christ. Not one person joined the church. Not one person rededicated their lives. And I thought, you know, he preached a great message. I know there's some people here that are lost. Some people are here that don't have a church home. Some people here that need to rededicate their lives to Christ. Well, Monday night, same thing. Nobody came forward. Wednesday night, nobody came forward. Thursday night, nobody came forward. And I thought, what in the world is going on? There were about a thousand people there. Well, that fifth night, he preached. Second stanza was going on, and this man walked down. And he said, uh, I have lied about another member in this church. And I want to confess that to everybody here, and I want to ask him for his forgiveness. And the man was there. And the man came to the aisle and came down to the front, and they hugged, and uh, they made it right. It was, it was kind of moving. And then a lady came down while that was going on, and she said, uh, I have been a terrible backbiter. She said, I really have just kind of run a whole bunch of people down, not just one, but a whole bunch of people. And she said, I want the forgiveness of the church. 
And four or five women from the church got up, came down to the front, stood around her and hugged her, and and everything was kind of made right. Well, while they were doing all that, a man came forward. And when the pastor got to him, he said that he would like to trust in Christ as his Lord and Savior. And while he was doing that, a young teenage girl came forward and said she'd like to trust in Christ. And then a family came forward, said they'd like to join the church. And then the doors opened and people started coming from everywhere. I mean everywhere. There were at least a hundred people down front that had made decisions for the Lord. And I was sitting there thinking, Thank God. The message of Christ and Him crucified and Him resurrected has finally broken through. It was a night that I will never forget. It was just powerful. Paul was uh, preaching and depended for the effectiveness at first on logical and rhetorical power that the preacher could engender only a faith that rested upon that same support. And such a faith would be at the mercy of a superior logic. You know, if that came in, then that perhaps would take over. If there was a better orator that came, maybe that guy would take over and thus completely be insecure. Moreover, it would not be Christian in its content. Verse 5, Paul's preaching, however, leads to a faith which does not depend on men's wisdom, but on God's power. God's power. That's what's important. Paul tried to persuade people, and he wasn't very effective. Your witness, perhaps, has been given, and maybe it wasn't very effective. But then something happened in your heart. The Holy Spirit of God got a hold of you. And as you were talking to somebody about spiritual things, the Holy Spirit came upon them. And then decisions for Christ would be made. When you witness... We need to remember that we've a story to tell to the nations. There's a great song by that title. We've a story to tell to the nations. Well, you know, we really do. We've got the best message out there. I know they've got all these ads on TV, and after a while you, you kind of memorize the ads. You've seen them so many times. Well, we've got a better ad. We've got a better message. We've got a better product. Amen. Our product will lead people into glory. Our product will change their daily walk and their daily life. And it will be, praise the Lord, for the better. For all time. It's not just something for that week, that month, that year. It's for all time. And that's what happened. Well, Paul is hampered by the fact that he is obliged to use the word wisdom in two senses. For he uses it in two distinguishable bad senses and in two distinguishable good senses. Wisdom is used in a bad sense when it denotes the skilled marshalling of human arguments employed with a view to convincing the hearer. 
This process is by no means evil in and of itself and becomes evil only when it is employed as a substitute for the true Christian gospel. Well, uh, to reasoning based on such standards, which ask ultimately what I wish, what I want, what I want to do, to, to those folks, the cross is foolishness. You know, there are millions and millions and millions of people in America that think the cross is just foolishness. You know, that's somebody a long time ago, a long way away, doesn't have anything at all to do with me. But when the message finds its way to their heart, then it means everything. It changes their life. Completely. Thousands and thousands of people across America today, as the gospel is being preached, as the cross is lifted up, thousands and thousands of people today will trust on Jesus. Isn't that a wonderful thing to think of? A whole lot of people today in America are going to find the risen Christ in their heart. Look at verse 6. We do, however, speak wisdom among mature Christians. Christian wisdom is not confined to a little bitty group of people over here or over there or over there. Christian wisdom is generally given at the disposition of the spirit, of the spirit. The gift is one that, of course, is a greater blessing for mature Christians But it's also a message for people that don't know anything. Over the years, I've had a lot of people walk into the church wherever I was pastoring. They'll say, don't call on me to pray or anything. Don't call on me to read the Bible. Don't call on me to even say anything. This I'm a newbie. I'm here today, and I've tried a lot of things, and I'm here today to kind of see about this Christianity thing. Don't call on me. Well, you know, you don't expect that person to stand up and give a great oratory about Christ and him crucified and risen. You just don't expect that. But the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is available for everyone. You don't have to know much to know that Jesus died on a cross for your sin, for my sin, for all of our sins. He put those away. He forgave those as he deals with us individually. If we will confess him as our Lord, as our Savior, if we will say he's the boss, I'm not the boss anymore. He's the boss. I want to confess my sin and place my faith and my trust in Christ as my Lord and Savior. And as you do that, everything Everything changes. By their behavior, the Corinthian Christians showed themselves in general to be very immature in the faith. They were arguing and fighting in Corinth. The Corinthians gave Paul more trouble than any other church that he started. They just seemed like they wanted to fight all the time, and that's what they did. There were some in the church that were mature in their faith, not many, 
There were some that uh, seemed like they just came to argue. They liked to argue. Well, they were having one church battle and another church battle and another church battle. And Paul went in there and preached to them and lifted up Jesus. I have uh, known about at least three churches. Now, you won't hardly believe this. I've known of at least three churches that had a tremendous fight in their church and the church divided, you know what over? Over what was supposed to be behind the baptistry. Was it supposed to be a cross or was it supposed to be a river scene? You know, and they would argue about that. I was in a church in Chattanooga and we got a big sign and put it up on the freeway close to the church and it had an arrow that came around and pointed toward the church, and it, it was really flashy. A lot of people in our church thought that was very distasteful. And we had a huge argument about that sign. You know, I hope and pray that we can get beyond that kind of stuff, and we can get to the Word of God, and we can not only plant it in our heart and our life, but we can help to plant it in the lives of others. Christians can grow. But you know what we've got to do? We've got to set our course. We've got to set our course in the right direction. And if we're going in the right direction, guess what? We're going to be a blessing to so many people. It's just unbelievable. People that perhaps we don't even know what their name is. We're going to be a blessing to them if we chart our course in a godly way. I hope and pray today that you're on that way. Have you set your course? We're going to have an invitation in just a moment. We're going to invite those that have never publicly trusted in Christ as their Lord and Savior. We're going to ask you to do that this morning, not just think about it. Not just ask others about it, but do it. And to walk down one of these aisles and come and take a stand for Christ. Some of you that have been visiting with us, we want to ask you to come and join with us. Be a part of our family. You know, the bigger our church gets, the more influence for Christ we're going to have. That's just the simple truth. The bigger we get, the more influence we'll have in the city, in the state, in the world. We're sending more and more missionaries out from our church. We're trying to help this one and that one and the other one. It's a noble cause. It's a godly cause. And that certainly is what we want to do. And we need you to come and help us do that. I hope today that you'll take a stand for Christ in your life. Join his church. Be a part of his family. Maybe you'd like to come and bend at the... A pew here at the front and rededicate your life to Christ. Just do it on your own. Whatever the Lord's leading you to do, we pray that you'll do it today. Let's stand as we sing together. I'll be waiting here at the front.